You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and what a joy to think about the very reason for our being, namely, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How do we know that God is three persons? Because God revealed this to us gradually, over the course of human history, what's called salvation history. And ultimately, God reveals this by becoming human to save us from our sins, death, alienation, and ignorance. In this episode, we will draw from a fantastic book published in 2009 in French and then translated in English and published in 2011 by French-Dominican theologian Gilles Emery entitled The Trinity, An Introduction to Catholic Doctrine on the Triune God. Among all the themes we could talk about in theology, the Trinity is the best one because all other topics point back to the truth about who God is. So let us embark on a little adventure together to recount how God revealed himself to us as a trinity of persons. So this book by Gilles Marie is wonderful. I've taught it before in different courses on the doctrine of the Trinity in Christology, or you could say the science of Christ. And I really love this book. It's a real masterpiece in Catholic theology. And this topic of the Trinity is so wonderful, so exciting. When it comes to people we love, we want to know them better. We ask them questions. We want to find out about what they like to do for fun. What do they enjoy? We want to find out about their family, about their hopes and dreams. And we never fail to ask questions of the people we truly love. We want to know even simple things. How was your day? How did you sleep? What are you looking forward to 
the rest of the day. And so it is with God. We want to ask God questions. We want to seek answers. And we want to let God tell us who he is. Even with reason alone, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, as far as right reason goes, that there must be God. There must be a first cause of everything of the universe that itself is not caused. But as far as who God is, this only God can say, only God can reveal, only God can show us. So this book by Father Gilles Emery is beautiful because it's a real synthesis of the whole tradition of Christian theology about God going back to the early creeds of the church from the councils of Nicaea and Constantinople, for example, in the years 325 and 381. What we profess in this creed about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, based on what God has revealed to us about himself. So I'm going to be exploring a bit of chapter 6 of Emery's book, a chapter that's about the creative and saving action of the Trinity. So this is to say that God reveals who he is by what he does, what he has done and is doing for us to save us, to recreate us, to restore our fallen and compromised human nature. So in this chapter 6, Emery talks about the missions of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. The missions of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son proceeds from God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit proceeds from God the Father and God the Son. This is classic Christian doctrine about the Trinity of Persons. The Son and Spirit, the Word and Breath, proceed from God the Father. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we read that whenever God sends his word, he sends his breath. So we can think of the Son and Holy Spirit as missions of God the Father, processions of God the Father. As missions, they are revealed both visibly and invisibly. The visible mission of the Son designates his sending in the flesh. That is to say, the incarnation that is unfolded in the mysteries of the life of the Son in his humanity. The visible mission of the Son, Emery says, is unique. There is only one incarnation of God. We call him Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, Jesus our Lord and Savior. But the New Testament bears witness to several visible missions of God the Holy Spirit. By the expression, visible missions of the Holy Spirit, one designates the sending of the Holy Spirit in abundance with sensible signs, such as the sign of the Spirit in the form of a dove, in the form of a cloud, in the form of tongues of fire on the disciples at Pentecost, as we heard about in the opening prayer. And these visible signs show the fullness of salvation in Christ, particularly at the baptism of Christ, when the Holy Spirit descends upon his humanity and the gift of the Holy Spirit to the apostles in order to establish the church in faith and charity at Pentecost. The visible missions of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit relate to the historical events 
that are foundational for salvation. From the Annunciation of the Angel Gabriel to the Blessed Virgin Mary, in which God the Son takes on flesh in her virginal womb, all the way to the event of Pentecost and the real springing forth of the church with this event. So Emery goes on to say in his chapter 6 about the creative and saving action of the Trinity, quoting St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verse 4, When the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman. The Son assumes, in the unity of his own divine person, the humanity conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. From the first instant of its conception, this humanity is the humanity of the Son of God. The sending of the Son at the time of his incarnation unfolds in all the mysteries of his existence in the flesh. The sending manifests the Son, begotten by the Father, from all eternity. So we profess in the Creed that God the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. That is, always. There never was a time when the Son was not even from beyond eternity. But we understand God the Son always in relation to God the Father, and vice versa. There is no fatherhood to speak of without offspring. And we say this divine offspring is an eternal begetting, not in time, but it is the very being of God. The life of the Son in human flesh, his words and his acts, reveal his eternal generation by the Father, Jesus is always referring to his father, Abba. The sending also procures salvation for us. The son becomes man in order to save humans with the active concurrence of the humanity that he assumes. By the mysteries of his life in the flesh, by his passion and his resurrection, the incarnate son pours forth the sanctifying Holy Spirit. And we contemplate Christ in the light of the faith of the Council of Chalcedon in the year 451, in which Christ is professed again as in Nicaea and Constantinople as true God and true man, one person in two natures, united without confusion or separation. In his divinity, his divine nature, insofar as he is true God, the incarnate Son, who we call Jesus, is the principal cause of our salvation. And in his humanity, his human nature, insofar as he is true man, the Son, Jesus, is likewise the cause of salvation. Because his humanity is the instrument of his divinity. So the Lord brings about our salvation by the power of his divinity working through the humanity of Jesus. And it's the unity of these two natures, the divine and human, through which we are saved, without which we are not saved. Then Emery goes on to think about God the Holy Spirit and the visible mission of God the Holy Spirit manifest, for instance, on the event of Pentecost. This event of Pentecost where God the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the disciples, 
And they have the boldness to go out into the streets of Jerusalem and proclaim the saving works of God, even at the risk of their own lives and sometimes at the expense of their own lives. Pentecost sums up and contains all the visible missions of the Spirit. It is also the culminating point of the revelation of the Trinity. It enables us to sum up the traits that constitute the visible missions of God. First, we discover here the Holy Spirit in person, sent and given by the Father and the Son. The sending of the Holy Spirit reflects His eternal procession from God the Father and God the Son. So the way salvation works, God sends forth His very self. God the Father pours out God the Son and God the Holy Spirit into creation in order to redeem it. This sending reflects the very nature of God. Within God's eternal being, there is an eternal sending, an eternal circulation of persons, namely the circulation of love, an eternal movement that is God. God not only one substance, one divine substance, which is true about God, but also God is relational, three relations between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The mission of the divine person is, so to say, an outflowing in time of his eternal procession. Second, we discern here, in the event of Pentecost, the new presence of the Holy Spirit by grace, with which he fills the apostles and that inspires their ministry of founding the church. These first two aspects constitute the invisible mission of the Holy Spirit to the apostles. This is to say, the interior gift of the Spirit. To these two aspects, the visible mission adds a third element, manifestation through a sensible sign. The sign at Pentecost of the Holy Spirit, the breath we read in the Gospel of St. John, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And when the tongues of fire in Luke's account of Acts of the Apostles, this manifests exteriorly the interior abundance of the grace of the Spirit by which the Apostles are filled for establishing the Church. Furthermore, by showing the interior sending of the Holy Spirit, this sign manifests likewise His eternal procession. Again, St. Augustine explained this latter aspect in a direct and profound way which should be understood in light of the whole teaching of the New Testament. So quoting St. Augustine, his work called De Trinitate in Latin or On the Trinity, St. Augustine says this, It is not without point that the same Spirit is called the Spirit of the Father and of the Son. And I cannot see what else he intended to signify when he breathed, when Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We read this in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, verse 22. The physical breath that came from his body and was physically felt was a convenient symbolic demonstration that the Holy Spirit proceeds not only from the Father, but also from the Son. And when we think of the Holy Spirit as breath, the breath as a visible sign of the Holy Spirit, we're brought back to the opening pages of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1. When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless wasteland and darkness covered the abyss, while a mighty ruach swept over the waters. 
This ruach in Hebrew can be translated breath, wind, or spirit. And the Greek pneuma that we translate in English spirit, or in the Latin spiritus, this respiration of God. God breathes creation into being. God breathes salvation over creation to redeem it once fallen. So such beautiful imagery to think about these divine missions of God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Word and breath of the Father, Jesus who is God the Son, and the Holy Spirit proceeding from Him as well as God the Father because God the Holy Spirit is precisely divine gift that goes back and forth between God the Father and God the Son. God the Holy Spirit is the very love of God, is the very meaning of grace, the gift of God that circulates, that is on mission, that transforms and transfigures whatever he comes into contact with in the order of creation. Finally, this last passage I want to take from Emery's book, thinking about the parallelism of the visible missions of the Son and the Spirit. Just as the visible mission of the Son finds its completion in Christ and makes present in the world the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, by constituting him as head of the church. St. Paul uses this language. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And God brings about the formation of the mystical body of Christ, that is, the church. Nothing greater than the incarnation and Pentecost will ever happen because God will never make a greater gift to the world than that of the Son on the day of the incarnation, nor a greater gift to the church than that of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. There will never be more visible missions. Just as the Son must be incarnate once and for all, the Spirit, following the same rule, must be given once and for all. The twofold visible mission of the Son and the Spirit is irrevocable. Its efficacy is unlimited in duration. That is, the effectiveness of the giving of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is unlimited. As the Church teaches, God the Father has spoken everything in His Word become flesh. There's nothing more to say, because everything's been said in God the Son. God, the Word of the Father, become flesh. And the same thing we can say about God the Holy Spirit. There's no other gift that God has to give to us than His very self, His very life, His very breath, His very power. Everything has been poured out to the point of abandonment without remainder. And we read this. In the bookends of the incarnation of God the Son and the event of Pentecost, the pouring out of God the Holy Spirit. The life of the Son in our humanity and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost are ordered to the coming of the Son and the Holy Spirit into the heart of humans so as to unite them to the Father. This is what St. Teresa of Avila calls the interior castle of the soul. This is not something that's only happening outside the body in visible manifestations, but the invisible manifestations of the missions of God go all the way 
to the depth of the human heart, the human soul. That's their final destination in all of this giving, to be received into us and to dwell within us. When the Son and the Holy Spirit are sent into hearts, they come in person and inseparably. So this is the presence of God. This is the gift our hearts long for. As St. Augustine says, you have created us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless. They're disquieted until they rest in you inasmuch as God rests in us. The invisible mission of the Son and that of the Holy Spirit are distinct, but they are simultaneous and indissociable. The one is never without the other. Only the Son and the Holy Spirit are sent into hearts. The divine person is sent by the one from whom he eternally proceeds. The Father is not sent per se because he does not have a principle, but he comes with the Son and the Holy Spirit into the saints. St. Athanasius explained, When the Spirit is in us, the Word also, who gives the Spirit, is in us, and in the Word is the Father. By grace, the whole Trinity dwells in the soul of the just. God dwells in his temple, not the Holy Spirit alone, but also the Father and the Son. The temple of God, that is, of the sublime trinity as a whole, is the Holy Church universal in heaven and on earth. And it's the human soul in particular. Your soul and my soul. God wants to take up residence there and remain there and yet circulate there. The paradoxical nature of God that is at once substantial and relational. There's something permanent, stable, and at the same time, something on mission and moving about God. It's been a great joy to reflect on these incredible passages from Father Gilles Emery's book on the Trinity. I'll put a link to it in the description, and I encourage you to check it out further. Read it for yourself. It's so rich, so potent, and I just praise God for the work of great theologians like him and so many others we quoted in the podcast today that guide us to the truth about God, that gather up all the evidence of Scripture and the living tradition of the Church that has been handed on throughout the centuries. God has made himself known to us that we in turn would share the saving knowledge with anyone who has not yet encountered it. This is the work of evangelization. So may we never cease to contemplate the Most Holy Trinity, the mystery of all mysteries, gazing with unveiled face on the glory of the Lord, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as from the Lord who is the Spirit. And may we praise our awesome God without end for his love that is without beginning or end. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness.